Weekend variety wireless. Solitary confinement. You're so lonely. Kind of more of an upbeat Smiths, isn't it? Uh, JC Carroll was a founding member and driving force behind the members. Remember the members? He's playing in Auckland uh, Friday the 19th at the Thirsty Dog. I managed to catch up with him and talk about the songs and the times. He's a good chat. JC Carroll of the members after the commercial break. The Weekend Variety Wireless. Remember the members? The other side of this, just to get the nostalgia trons going, uh, you'll be familiar with it, I'm sure. This particular song after it, we'll speak with JC Carroll, guitarist from the members, coming over. very exciting for me, you know, because I'd go out at night and meet girls and things, but nothing ever really happens around my neck of the woods except this rather nice girl who lives across the way from me. I'll tell you, I got it, but she got a 40-inch butter cheese just, just, just living in a familiar strain and oh it's got some muscle and some attitude there's a lot of music 
coming out of uh, England at the time did, and I suppose New York as well, you could say. We're speaking with JC Carroll of the members from that particular tune and oh, the career of the whole band. JC, thanks for your time. Well, really brilliant to speak to you in Auckland, Graham. Hey, the first thing, that logo that you used, it's just so d- distinctive. It's kind of like the dancing one side, then the other, M-E-M-B-E-R-S, going downwards. How did you get that? There's a great story to connect to that to that, to that logo. Um, there's a guy called, a really famous graphic designer called Malcolm Garrett, who um, did all the buzzcock sleeves and did the spiral scratch sleeve. And he was an old friend of mine, and I still work with him today. And uh, he came around my house one day, and we were looking at through my reggae records, and the logo is stolen from Upsetter, which is a Lee Perry band, Lee Perry's reggae band, and we nicked the font from Lee Perry. <laughs> Brilliant. See, a Lee Perry Upsetter record, it's got exactly the same yeah. letters on it. <laughs> okay. Uh, wouldn't be the first thing somebody's nicked from Lee Perry anyway. Exactly. What were you doing before joining the band? Well, um, uh, w- when I joined the band, I was working in a bank in the city of London, and I was uh, I was uh, w- working as a junior clerk to the to bond traders in the bank, and um, so I was I was working in a, behind a desk with a suit and tie, and uh, it was a very respectable tradition. And, uh, and and at night time, I was playing all the punk rock gigs. Do you think if the band hadn't really taken off, you might have ended up being a, a, a city boy snorting cocaine in the 80s? Well, yeah, probably, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, we were. We were. That's right. It was. I would have made probably a lot more money <laughs> staying in the city, but um, I would have probably burnt out by the time I was 30 instead of continuing to rock in my 60s as I do now. Yeah, the punk explosion... I shudder, actually, every time I say it. But I say it so other people can understand the time and place, really. How did it grab you and what was your perception of it happening? Well, let me explain to you. I first heard about it in a a newspaper in London in 1976. And in 1977, I was living in London in a small bed sit as in that that song, Solitary Confinement. I didn't really know anybody. And I heard about this music going on and down in this club called the Roxy. So I went down there and there was a very small group of people involved in the punk rock scene. Quite a few of them had been to art school, um, the, and uh, St. Martin's Art School, different art schools. So it was quite a small group of people. But very quickly, it became, when the members started playing, you started getting kids from the outskirts of London coming in. And they weren't very trendy city kids, but they really wanted to get involved in the punk rock scene. And we wrote a song especially for them called Sound of the Suburbs. And by the time 78 and 79 came around, it was a whole nationwide movement. It wasn't just the trendy people in the middle of the cities that were involved in it. We'll hear Sound of the Suburbs and get a little bit more from you about it, but just on the the punk thing, it ate itself just a little bit when it actually became a fashion. I don't know, that that went against the ethos of it. Well, it became fashionable. Punk was a movement of fashion, art and graphics. It's funny enough, there's a lot of different things involved in it. From 1977, there was punk fashion, there was punk, you know, and and it was actually a great time for hairdressers because the hairdressers were at the forefront. They invented all these great hairstyles that everybody got. It was an explosion, not just music. For example, the graphic designer, Malcolm, that we worked with then is still 
working and there's still a kind of punk time of arc thing which isn't necessarily the one you normally think it is is very quite clear clever graphics so what happened is that by the time 1978 came along we were really going for 1979 we had a big hit and instead of consolidating in in england we decided to go around the world yeah. And that's how we got to, to arrive in Auckland in 1979, in about June or July or something like that. And I believe the members were one of the first punk bands to come from England to tour in Australia, in New Zealand, rather. And um, so we were, there's a lot of people, we have a special place in our heart for uh, New Zealand because we, we arrived there and people went crazy when we played a place called the Main Street Cabaret in Auckland. Oh, all right, yeah, you've made a lot of people remember that place, even the smell of walking into it. Good heavens, that is early well, I on. Believe the two Finn, I believe the two brothers, Finn, were in the support band. It was a fantastic night, and um, when we came back, uh, we came back about four or five years ago, people still had their ticket stubs from the first gig. It was brilliant. <laughs> wow, memories of Main Street, 1979, far out. What did you think of New Zealand in 1979? New Zealand was a very different place to what it was when I went back four years ago. Uh, it was a, like a cross between Kent in the 1950s yeah. and a sort of place in America. Um, they had all these beautiful old American cars and Morris Miners and Zephyrs and um, the, the guy from the running the record company had a tweed jacket and smoked a pipe and it was just kind of really lovely and... Um, People were really interested in music and they really, they loved all different types of music. And, and New Zealanders are a very musical people and um, some great musicians come out of New Zealand. So we had a fantastic time. I was only there for two days and um, the guys got to go to a trip to some mud pool or something like that. But because I'd only brought one pair of trousers with me, they'd split and I had to stay at home and sew them up because I couldn't leave the hotel room because we didn't have any trousers. <laughs> nice behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, just regarding <laughs> what you wore and what the members looked like, your imagery, you didn't do the, the razor-blade torn shirt thing much. You always no, looked... No, really, no, no. You, you looked like a, all. No, no, no. a bunch of electricians and engineers from a building site all going out maybe on a Friday night. That's right. Well, well there's different types of punks. I mean, the whole Mo Mohican thing only started off in the... Um, in the 80s, yeah. um, the, 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 uh, the early punk look was do, you know, make up your own clothes. We weren't, we weren't into this really super kind of scrunchy fashion or um, anything like that. It was a bit muddy. We'd have some a Fred Perry T-shirt maybe or something, a Harrington jacket, a few badges on your, your jacket. It, the main thing is you had to have short hair. Yeah. Because you couldn't have long hair. I mean, few people did, but it was the big thing. Is you had short hair and skinny trousers. You didn't have flares. That was, a, that was the big thing. You know, we were coming out of the 70s where everybody had flares. And so you had skinny trousers and short hair and um, a T-shirt. And, you know, it was all made, all self-made stuff. Yeah. Oh, hang on. Nicky Tesco, vocalist, he, he had a mullet uh, a little bit later on, didn't he? We did have a mallet later on. We tried to discourage him, but he was, in the 80s, he went a bit mallety, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, Sound of the Suburbs. Tell us about that. It's kind of partnered with solitary confinement, life in London, really, isn't it? Well, yeah, the, there's three songs on the first album which are very autobiographical, and they're Sound of the Suburbs, Solitary Confinement, and Chelsea Nightclub. And they're all about a young boy 
coming to the big city and finding out what goes on in the big city. Uh, Sound of Suburbs is a huge record for us in the UK because it sold so many records. And it was, I mean, I was playing it last night to a huge crowd in a big festival out in, um, in the east of the country. It's a big anthem for us. It's a lot of the, the bands, the cover bands over the UK, they play that it's in their set. It means a lot to people all around the country because a lot of 15, 16, 17-year-olds, it's kind of the anthem of their youth. Yeah. We're all talking about is how boring it was growing up, you know, in, in, on a, a state where all the houses are the same and all the aspirations of the children. And, and it's just a great song for me. And that's how I get paid, thinking that song. Yeah. It actually strikes me as like Morrissey, but less gloomy. Yeah, there was. It's actually there's a there's a famous actor over here called Adrian Edmondson, and he he's um, from the Young Ones, and he has a folk group, and he does a version of it, a folk version of it. Oh yeah. And he does it quite slowly. They're called the Bad Shepherds, and it's quite a melancholy song actually. If you don't play it quite fast, it's about isolation and loneliness and all sorts of things. But it's got a sort of joie de vivre about yeah. it as well. So it's it's kind of, same as solitary confinement it's about loneliness but it seems to be positive it's got a bit of sadness and happiness in it both at the same time i don't know how we did it but we managed to do it This is the sound, this is the sound of the summers. This is the sound of the summers. Every lousy Monday morning, each project goes crashing on the road. Ten o'clock, broad more siren, trying to be mad, won't leave me alone. i 
out dub reggae and its intersection with punk and other rock, you know, I think probably England, that was the place where it really fused together. Didn't happen anywhere else, really, did it? No, no, not really. It happened in England. We started adding reggae stuff into our set very, very early on, and it was kind of unique to us. We were doing it in 1977. It was quite good contrast because you'd have this really fast music and then this really slow bassy music and echoey stuff going on in the background. And our very first record was on Stiff Records, and the B-side was like a reggae thing, and the A-side was Solitude Confinement. And it was just really part of the members' sound. And... It was an escape from, you know, the rock, from technical guitar-heavy rock, and we wanted something moving and slow and mysterious. And we lived in West London in, in Labrador, Port Bella Road area, and there was a guy, great guy there who put on concerts and he mixed reggae and punk. And it, at that time, people wouldn't go to both. You'd either go to one or another. Right. So we had reggae bands and punk bands playing the same concerts. And then there was a huge movement called, called Rock Against Racism, and we played some really big shows for them where they would have a mixture of reggae bands and punk bands. So it was really a fantastic meeting of cultures in a funny way because when we started playing reggae, people said to us, you can't play that music because you're not black. Uh-huh. It was kind of really strange, and we said, well, no, of course we can play it. Linton Kwesi Johnson and Dennis Bovell, the dub poetry sort of thing, purely a London affair with them. No, was that an influence? Because that, that was released really early on. Also, there was a politicisation of, of, say, Linton Kwesi Johnson. It was a great vehicle to talk over and and have fantastic poetry, and, and it's, so it's quite a didactic storytelling medium. Yeah, it is. But he's also doing quite a descriptive of just how edgy and threatening it was in London at the time. You kind of do as well with gang war. Yeah, that's right. Well, there was a lot of violence in the t- at the time, and actually, believe it or not, in the not so in 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 the countryside in England, was quite violent because what happens is you go in and play a big show. And all the yobos from one town would come and attack all the other guys. Oh, right. And dances and discotheques, there was quite a lot of violence, generally. There would be gangs of skinheads from one town or whatever, or greasers. It wasn't really the idyllic place, and and sometimes just quite often erupted at concerts. There was fighting, there was people throwing stuff. It was kind of a bit scary. It wasn't as civilised as it is today. No. That gets great it's an inspiration as well. No shortage of shit to write about. Exactly. There's a rumor in the city going all around. The leather boys are gonna meet the Paris of town. Over by the station, the skin stand and wait. And twitching by their sides and their eyes are full of hate. Real sign is late up, held back up the clouds. Didn't see them coming, I feel the broken glass. There's been a
This is yours, the album, second album. Who's the old codger mm -hmm. on the front? It's such a famous cover. I have no idea. It's a, it's a sort of actor that we hired, and it was supposed to be a sort of some politician telling us what to do. That's right. what it was supposed to be. We recorded that very quickly. They wanted more hits, and it was our last album for Virgin. We only did two albums for Virgin. Yeah. Oh, well, just carrying on the theme of the edginess and the violence, uh, which, which came mm -hmm. from the authorities as well. Police car. That's a neat thing. It's a song by a guy called Larry Wallace who produced our first record. Oh. And he was a member of Motorhead and the Peace Fairies. And as a thank you for recording our first record, we recorded uh, one of his songs. And that's Police Car. It's a great song. Let's go. 
Brian about Brian was. It's, it's about a bank clerk that kills himself. He gets transferred to the head office and he doesn't like it, but he can't tell anybody he doesn't like it. So one day he opens the windows and throws himself out the window. It's all semi autobiographical. I thought I'd throw myself out the window when I worked in the bank. Bloody hell. Brian was a quiet sort of bloke, so he kept himself to Salary. 
Was that like taken from the papers or something? Court reports? What? Sort of, yeah. It was. I heard a story about a guy that killed himself. It's a theme about when you go to work and you become a machine and you don't want to be a part of the machine anymore. So one day you just say, right, I'd rather end my life than a rebellion about that kind of jobs can turn people to do desperate things. Mm. Speaking with JC Carroll of the members, we'll be back very shortly. Curiosity not only killed the cat, it spawned a whole radio show. Graham Hill's Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. JC Carroll of the members, so much fun to get the horse's mouth story of these times. What were the bands that you were quite close with at the time, 70s, 80s? Well, we used to really love um, The Clash and I got to know Joe Strummer very well. One of my best mates in the rock and roll business was a guy called Glenn Matlock who played bass for the um, Sex Pistols originally and I played with Johnny Thunders. Last time we came to New Zealand, we had the, the guy called Rat Scabies from the Dam playing drums for us. So we got to know a lot of people um, around, around the scene. And it was um, for a guy in the suburbs that didn't know anybody, punk rock really introduced me to everybody in London. And I got to play in every single pub in London. And it's fantastic. It's kind of bizarre when you think the amount of bands of quality and that have stood the test of time. How many there were in such a short space of time and in quite a small geographical area? It is quite amazing, really. I mean, we played this quite big... Uh, we've just played a big festival at the, uh, in, up in uh, East Anglia yesterday and they had the Boomtown Rats, Sham 69. They have anti League. They had the UK subs. They have... Uh, usually the Ruts DC play them and there's so many bands from our era are still working the Stranglers because people really still like that music and it resonates with a lot of people You're not the only ones to take a big break in the middle too Stranglers, Buzzcocks the tide kind of went out on you cats and then it came in again uh, what's going on? Actually I was raising a family and you have to have a regular job when you raise a family so we um, we all went and knuckled under and, and I ran a shop for a while and my ch- when my children were young, I had to be there for them. I couldn't go on tour. So we kind of got all that stuff done. And when that was done, I said, right, let's go back out and let's do what I want to do. I've done my duty for my children and now it's our time for us to go out. Yeah, I've been doing a few solo shows and that's what I'm looking forward to doing on the 19th of October. On my own, with yep. the acoustic guitar, I shall be telling the stories of behind the scenes, all the war stories and singing my most famous songs. I can't wait to do it. Nice. All right, just a bit on some of the latest stuff because, man, your sound changed so much. The hairs went from short to mullet. Let's talk about Working Girl.
produced multi-track synthesized thing for the freaking radio how did you end up there me and nick tesco wrote the song very very quickly and um was just the time of the 80s and the, the producer was called martin russian and he basically he'd had a number one all around the world with this song called don't you want me with the human league and they said to him you can have any sign any band you want to work with and he said i'd like to work with the members again so we went into his studio but he said you have to work the same way that i work so we had to work using all his machines and we had to uh, all these Beach Boys harmonies. Yeah. It was a big, big record for us in America and uh, much bigger than Sound of Suburbs in America. It was an 80s hit for us. And um, if you go on the members' YouTube channel, that's the second most popular song out of our catalogue. And we still sing it every time we go out. And radio, man, that must have served you well. It sounds to me like your biggest song. Oh, I haven't got the stats or I haven't rung up your accountant. No, I have not, no idea, but man, it must have been it, huge. It was big. It was really big. I think it was number one in Australia. It's just a really catchy thing. Lots of radio stations used it as a station indent. Yes. And um, it was kind of a really big thing, and it was quite like a disco sound, like an electronic sound, and it was, once again, a big departure. But, yeah, it was a big hit for us. It was fantastic. About myself these days
pays. It literally pays, doesn't it, to write a song about something that's going to be used. I'm Freddie Mercury. It really hit it with uh, being a champion and liking bicycles. That really worked. Yeah, the bicycles. You often need a subject that's really useful to the radio. They wanted a song that would sound good on the radio that radio DJs would play. So we, yeah. we wrote that song for the radio, basically. We had a horn section when we did that. I mean, so we were up to a seven-piece band. Yeah, good God. And... Um, we had seven, seven pieces, and the paying the wages was a nightmare. And um, but it's still, it was interesting. It was an interesting time. Yeah, I've always thought there were too many people in UB40 too. How do they get paid? You know, they fell out terribly. There's two UB40s. You know that? No, tell me. The two brothers, main brothers, fell out, and they tour as two separate UB40s. Oh, so it's that's complicated, you know. But we don't, we haven't fallen out. We still love each other, and we still tour. And I'm looking forward to coming and playing for you in New Zealand. Yay! I'll release you back into the wild very shortly. But we've <laughs> all this music has been about the members. You're playing solo here. The stories behind the songs. I've got to ask, out of respect for your fellow band members, any interesting stories? What are they up to? Anything to comment about, Nikki? Nikki was a journalist for many years. He doesn't perform anymore he hasn't performed for about 12 years his health not brilliant but he writes regularly for the uh magazines over here and especially one owned by a new zealander called eugene butchers a great magazine called Vivla rock the original guitarist nigel's touring with a band called the vibrators oh neil chris the, uh, the original bass player still in the members as is a our drummer Nick Cash yeah. who's a great guy and we were playing last night and all the other guys are just really interesting, really nice guys. Chris Payne has been in the band with me for 40 years now. Yeah. He's a great bass player. He's a great singer. Nick Cash has only been doing it for 15 years. He's sort of youngish now, but he was at art school with the guys from the Sex Pistols. He's kind of been in the punk scene for a long, long time. He's a really lovely man. And, yeah, it's great great working with these people. Thank you very much, JC, from the members. Good for you, and nice to hear some of the stories behind these tunes that are so familiar to so many of us. I look forward to it. Thank you so much for calling me. Thank you very much. Take care. Grant Smithy's probably back next week uh, reviewing albums turning 40 again. We'll have a look at Linton Queasy Johnson and Dread Beaten Blood, which is a cracking album, although it did go on to do better, I think. It's a lovely thing nonetheless. And also tomorrow night we continue the series, Jesus, Make It Stop, with Glenn Harper following the death throes of World War I, what was going on. And some of the fighting continued after that blessed armistice. Imagine that, getting through all of that and then being killed. Good God. Uh, it's probably the most important thing that happened in the 20th century, actually. Glenn Harper, tomorrow night, around about 9.30, Mark. And we're making an archive so you can follow it online if you've missed any so far. New sport and weather coming up next, and you can call for talkback 0800 844 747. See you tomorrow, 8 p.m.